Welcome, welcome. Okay. We're going to get started. Thanks for coming, you guys. Do you know where the largest living thing is? Yeah. It's a sequoia tree. Okay, not the tallest living thing, but in terms of mass, the largest living thing. You know what? Yes, go ahead. You look so... Oh, so... I keep getting caught up on that. I want to talk about the giant sequoia trees because they're right here. But yes, in terms of mass... I know. Yes. Yes, that, those, that's an aspen grove in Colorado, which is so cool. But the, but the largest, in terms of its mass, the largest living thing is 16. By the way, these are two really cool sequoia trees that you can walk to. They're just out 10-mile road. So that's Eric and me, so little down at the bottom of those trees. So fun. You can walk to them, which is really cool because you can get up right close and touch them. But once you go into the National Park, to Sequoia National Park, you actually can't get close because they're fenced in. But the General Sherman tree is the largest living thing in the world in terms of its mass. It's not the tallest necessarily. Actually, I have this sweatshirt right here. The heart tree is the tallest. The, the tallest giant sequoia, 277 feet tall. Eric bought me this Friday when we went in to visit the trees into the... He told me I had to wear it today. I said, I don't know. It's kind of corny to talk about trees and wear trees. He said, you're doing it. And I said, okay. Anyway, but the General Sherman tree, it's only 16 miles from here. You should probably ask your bus driver if you can swing by and visit it on the way home. And if not, you've got to put it on your bucket list because it is amazing. Let me just throw out some facts. It's 275 feet tall. Giant sequoia trees can live up to 3,000 years old. They only grow here. So you should geek out about it because they're only here. I just went on Friday and I stood in front of this tree and I will tell you, people are speaking every language you can think of because they come from all over the world to see this thing. And it's right in our backyard. They only grow here in this 260-mile strip along the western side of the Sierra Nevada between 5,000 and 7,000 feet in elevation where the humidity and the water and the sunshine and the nutrients are all just right. God put them here. And why would God make giant sequoia trees and put them right here? Why do you think? Yes. Because conifers are cool. Because conifers are cool. Good. What's one other reason you think God would make them? I th yes. Yes! To display his glory and creativity. I think... God makes everything for his own pleasure. He made you for his own pleasure. He makes these trees for his own pleasure. And guess what? If God takes pleasure in these trees, then we ought to also. It pleases him. Look how huge it is. It's amazing. I recommend that you go there as soon as you possibly can. Put it on your bucket list and stand there in awe. And when you look up at this tree and you think that branch is as large as a bus and you are just feeling in awe about the tree, realize God made it and he's the one we need to stand in awe of. It's a gift to us from him and he wants us to appreciate the gift. But do you know 
that there are some really special trees in the Bible. In Genesis, it tells us that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man, Adam, whom, whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So God planted this garden just full of trees. I would love to be there. <laughs> I love trees, and they were all beautiful to look at and good to eat. But there were two that get named, two among all these trees that are unique. One's the tree of life, and the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, kind of a cumbersome name for a tree. I think we can assume that these two trees that get spoken of specifically here, don't necessarily look differently from the other trees. And I think they're in the, in the midst, they're, they're among all of these other trees, but somehow God has determined that these two trees are unique, and Adam and Eve are told that the tree of life is for later. Now it could be, some, some scholars think that the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life was not ripe yet. It wasn't ready. But Adam and Eve knew that the tree of life held out a promise for them. But they had to wait. There would be great blessing. There would be life, full and abundant, but you have to wait. And some people think that Adam and Eve had to walk by the tree of life where it wasn't ready yet, and they had to wait in obedience, and then they walked over to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil where the fruit was ready. What did God tell Adam and Eve? What did he tell Adam about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Who knows? What did he tell him? Go ahead, yell it out. Do not, Do not eat all these trees that were yummy and beautiful and God tells Adam, this one, do not eat. What does Eve do? Come back, paper. What does Eve do? She, instead of waiting for the tree of life, she takes this fruit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a test for Adam and Eve's loyalty. If they had passed that test, the tree of life would have been a reward for loyalty. But they didn't pass the test, did they? Eve takes the fruit, she eats it, she offers it to Adam, the one who God told, do not eat, and he eats it, and what enters the world? Sin, which has affected mankind ever since. And what does God do to Adam and Eve after they eat the fruit? Does anybody know? Say it again. Yes. Kicks them out. Banished. It's this really harsh word. It's not like, oh, take your time. Just saunter on out of the garden. They are banished. And the tree of life is now guarded with angels with flaming swords. The way to the tree of life, 
life abundant and full and everlasting, rich relationship with God and one another, it is guarded. They can't even get near the tree of life anymore. And I think that it is appropriate that one of the ways that we can look at the Bible is that from Genesis all the way to the end is this story of people trying to get back to the tree of life. The struggle to get back to unhindered relationship with God, life full and abundant and everlasting. But it's guarded. Who knows where we see the tree of life again in the Bible? Revelation, nice. We see the tree of life. When you are reading the Bible, try to pay attention to times that you see things repeated, especially things that are of really significant importance like this tree of life. It is so amazing when you start looking for trees or, or other symbols or things that God uses in the Bible, that we, we can make connections. We can make connections. So you see the tree of life in Revelation, you go, I remember that from Genesis. I wonder what God's trying to tell me here. Revelation is a vision that John had for what was to come. And look what we learn here in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, you should go, well, that's different than what was happening in Genesis, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. How has this tree changed from what we saw in Genesis? Just throw out, somebody raise your hand because there are a lot of different things you could say. Yeah, right here. Yes, it's not only ripe, but it's always ripe. Twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So there's no month when there's no fruit. Yeah, totally different. It has expanded. Yes, over here. Yes, it's not guarded. It's available to everyone. Look, the very leaves heal the nations. Everyone can be healed at this tree. Not just Adam and Eve, the nations. The very leaves. This tree offers life in a new and expanded and bigger way than what we saw in Genesis so, it was in the midst of this garden. Now it's on both sides of a river. It's hard for us to even envision how, how does one tree exist on both sides of the river. Well, it's pretty cool. You can think about that another time. There are 12 kinds of fruit, as you said. So, 12 months of the year, this fruit is available. The leaves heal the nations. There's no waiting. Remember, Adam and Eve had to wait. Wait for access to the tree of life, and in the meantime, obey at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And people have been waiting ever since. Now there's no waiting once we get here. 
And the tree in Genesis was a place of testing. And here we learn that at, the, at this tree, it's a place of worship. When you read Genesis, you think that tree of life was amazing. <laughs> and I think it, it could have been if they had passed the test. But this is expanded and even better. And don't you want to sit under this tree of life? Don't you want this life full and forever an unhindered relationship with God? But it's still guarded, right? I said I think we can look at the Bible as this story of people trying to get back to the tree of life, but who would give access to this tree of life in Revelation? How do we get access to it? Is, is it still guarded? Are we still kept away from it? There's another tree. There's another tree. Did you know that the cross on which Jesus died is called the tree in the Bible in a few places? I have it here. Let's see. 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And in Acts 13, 29, it says, They took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. The seemingly impossible sin problem that was brought about by Adam and Eve's disobedience it's solved by Jesus' death on the cross for you. He took on that sin. And he offered, when we trust him in that, and we believe, repent and believe, as the Bible says, we can have life that we see at this tree. The access to the tree of life is open to us when we come by way of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Jesus sometimes called the second Adam. Perhaps you've heard Jesus referred to as the second Adam. Adam failed the test at the tree. Jesus passes the test at the tree. Remember, he asked the Father that perhaps the, the cup could pass for him, but in obedience, he He dies for us as a criminal's death and as one who was judged by God for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53.10 says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So he took on our punishment for sin on a tree so that the way to the tree of life would be open to us. So because of sin, we were banished, and the tree of life was guarded. But when we trust him in faith, we are welcome to this tree, which offers life that we all long for. And its very leaves will heal all disease and hurt and loss and sadness and pain and strife. And we will drink of the river of life and eat freely from this tree of life. But we have to realize that life is really only found in Jesus. We are no different from Eve in that 
we see other things that look pleasing and we think we can take from them and find life and it only leads to death. And God says, obey me. Don't grasp that fruit that I have not intended for you. We have to say no to the, the things that attract us and that look like, ah, it's just an easy grasp. It's just a piece of fruit. I'm just going to look for life here, and it leads to death. In him was life, John 1.14 tells us. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we must feed on the atoning death of Jesus as our life. And we have to believe that the good life is only found in him. For to me is, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we can live this good life now if we feed on Christ. And here is a cool thing. The Bible likens God's people to trees in several places. But I want you to think about one of them, Psalm 1. It says, The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So someone who has followed Jesus in faith becomes like a tree, a well-watered tree, a tree that yields fruit for other people and whose leaves do not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They dry up like chaff and they're blown away. But we can be like a well-watered tree that offers fruit, nourishment to other people when we trust Jesus. So if we're like trees, I think there's some lessons that we can learn from them. Take a look at this cool drawing. What do you notice about this, these trees in this drawing? Yeah. Yeah, good. So the, notice the tree in the middle is the only one that's getting direct sunlight. The trees out to the right and left are not standing in the sunlight. But those little yellow circles that we see represent energy, nutrients, that the trees are sharing through their root system. I think this is a really amazing thing about, especially about sequoia trees that I've been studying, that they communicate through their roots and they're all intertwined. Okay, I told you that the General Sherman tree is 275 feet tall and they can live thousands of years. How do they not fall over? You would think they must have one huge tap root that goes way down deep into the underground to hold it up. They've seen so much wind and disease and fire and 10 feet of snow this winter. How do they not fall over? This is how. Their roots are completely <laughs> intertwined, communicating with one another, interconnected, 
sharing nutrients. Do you see how we are like trees? God's intention for us as his people is not to believe the American lie that we are independent, think our own way, do our own thing. That's a big fat lie. God's intention for us is that we live like these trees whose roots are interconnected. And where does that happen? God's provision for us to be interconnected and go deep is church. That's what God intends for us. That's how we share nutrients. When you are feeling weak and doubting and dry, you better be interconnected with some people at church who are feeling strong and watered and they can share with you, right? They can say, I know you're going through a season of weakness. Let me tell you what I read in my Bible this morning. I know you're lacking faith. I'm going to pray for you every day. But when the hard things come, if the root system isn't in place, we can feel isolated, alone, unseen, misunderstood. We've got to have that root system in place before the hard things come. I have a group, there are a group of seven of us women. We've been in church together for over 20 years. We have dinner together every other Thursday night. That is no small commitment when we all have lots of kids. But it's a priority for us because you know what we've learned? The longer you're in relationship with people, you just take turns going through hard things. You take turns. Two years ago, it was me. I was the one going through a hard thing where I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of bed in the morning. But my friends continued to come around me and make food for my family and pray for me and hold us up. And then when I got through my hard season, it's, my, it's another friend, and now we all come around her. The roots have to be in place before the hard things come. And this is what God intends for us. This is how he intends for us to live. You go deep in the life of the church, and you stay there. And do not believe, if you're 15 years old, what do I have to offer the, the church? Don't believe that the pastor is the only one standing in the sunshine sharing the nutrients. You, you, you got to have friends with three, be friends with three-year-olds and 80-year-olds. You've got to go deep. You've got to believe that God can use you to build up his people. It is not the pastor's job only. Go deep. Stay there. Here's another cool thing. I don't know if you guys have heard. This is called Biosphere 2. It's an experiment in Arizona where they built this really cool structure and they have all kinds of plants and trees and stuff in there where they, scientists can observe how they grow and why and what they need. And you know what they realized after a few years? The trees were failing. The trees were either dying or not growing to full height. They just weren't thriving. And they thought, what is wrong? They're getting all the nutrients, they're getting all the water, they're getting all the sun. And you know what they figured out? When they're enclosed in this, this glass roof, you know what they don't get? Wind. What do trees do when wind comes? They bend, right? 
and something cool happens in them. I don't know, because I'm not a tree scientist, but I kind of wish I was. But they bend, and something happens to strengthen them. Oh my goodness, do you see how what we have to learn from that? Because we're always facing some sort of strong winds in our life, something hard that's just causing us to bend. And so often, God brings those things about in our life because it forces us to throw ourselves on him and to allow his people to come around us and hold us up. But we got to be connected because the wind will come. And it's good for us. The wind is good for trees. It makes them stronger. It's hard sometimes to believe, but so often hard things are good for us. It strengthens us. Here's what I want you to understand. God makes amazing trees, <laughs> so we will stand in awe of him. Jesus died on a tree for you so that you can have life abundant and full and forever and healing. And that God does really significant, spiritually significant things all through the Bible, near trees, on high places. Look for it in the Bible. And realize that that's what God wants to do this week in your life. He wants to do spiritually significant things near trees and this high place. He's been doing it since 1946 here. And this week will be no different. Pay attention. Pay attention to what God wants to do in your life. Pay attention to what God wants to do in your friend's life. And say, God, we want to see you do things here near trees in high places. All right, what questions do you guys have? We have a few minutes. Got to talk in the mic, sorry. I'm fine with that. Is the picture of the trees sharing nutrients applied to all trees or just the aspen tree that was mentioned earlier? Mm. I guess I don't need this. Huh? Um, so I particularly was talking about the shared root systems of sequoia trees. I do know that there's the, the largest living organism, or yeah, multi-stem organism, what would we call it? multi-stem tree, I guess, in the world is in Colorado. 47,000 trunks of this aspen tree. They're all one organism connected underground. I don't know whether all trees... Tommy, do you know? Casilla, do you know? Do all trees have interconnected root systems? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> you were shaking your head, so I thought maybe you would know. Does anyone know the answer to that question, or do you have different questions? <laughs> yeah. I know, it's, it's, it's um, biologically speaking, it's one tree with all those trunks, which is really cool, yeah. Oh, there you go. So even if the roots are intertwined, it's getting into the soil and other, yeah. Isn't God awesome that he would do that? Okay, other questions. I'm going to go right back here. Oh, goodness, how am I going to get this to you? Yes, thank you. What's your favorite tree? Okay, I do love aspen trees. I actually just planted nine of them out here the other day. Um, but giant sequoia trees, they have to be 
the most amazing. But I will say, I think I appreciate giant sequoia trees that I can just walk up to, and they're not fenced off in the national park. But the reason that they're fenced off is because people do dumb things to trees, so they have to fence them off. Yes, sir. Um, is there any like trees that you wish could see that are like in uh, different countries, like uh, in Japan, Germany, or like any other places that don't grow here in the United States? I want to see them all. Actually, I, I want to see them all. I don't have a specific tree that I can name, but I love to travel and I love trees and I would be grateful if I could. Do you? Do you have one that you really want to go see? No. Okay, we have time for one more question, I think. Yes, sir. Do you know if there's um, anything special about like fig trees? Because you see them a lot in like, the New Testament with like Nathaniel and Jesus and stuff. Okay. Somebody, you guys, you need to study that. You need to study that. Because, yes, because when Adam and Eve sinned, and all of a sudden they knew they were naked and ashamed, what did they put on? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. And then we see them again in other places in the Bible. So, yeah, you need to do a paper. It's not a dumb question. Do, do a little study on a biblical theology of fig trees, fig leaves, and I think your mind would be blown Yes. Oh, you have to talk in the mic. That's the rule. I would guess you're a self-proclaimed biblical tree expert. No, and, I'm well, learning. You, you're, yeah, you're, you're into this. Um, how many sermons like this could you put together on trees? I mean, how, I mean you've, you've just given us from Genesis to Revelation with one tree. Yeah. And we've taken 35 minutes to discuss it. Yeah. I mean, is that you have, are you finding these connections all over the okay. Bible? Okay, I'll tell you. Such a good question. I'm not an expert, and I, the reason I feel very enthusiastic about it is because when I'm learning something new, I feel really enthusiastic and want other people to be too. So just this year, I have started learning about trees in the Bible, and I'm just really geeking out about it. But here's where I, a great resource. Do you guys know the Bible Project, guys? The Bible Project guys are the ones who do those drawings as they're telling about what books of the Bible are about. They also have a podcast. They did like eight hours on a biblical theology of trees. So I just, from different sources, I've taken some things. But if you're at all interested, I would go to the Bible Project podcast and look up trees, and it will blow your mind how often trees are mentioned in the Bible. Do you know that after God and people, trees are the next most mentioned thing in the Bible? They're all over the place. I heard the Bible Project guy said something like, every two or three pages, at least some form of tree is mentioned, whether it's a vine or a branch or a bush. They're everywhere. Anyway, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing these students here. God, I pray that you would wow them by your creation and also that you would do things that make us wonder this week near trees and high places. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.